The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Now, it's interesting to hear an introduction of oneself and to hear a biography and think, is that me? What is that story? And who was I in each of those very disparate parts of my life? A winding journey from the hills of South Carolina to the hills of California. Here I am. The Buddha actually taught a great deal about how we construct, how I construct a self called Daniel. He called it the five aggregates of clinging. And for those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago when I was here, I started this conversation about how we create the conflict and the suffering in our life through the five aggregates of clinging. How those concepts drive us into all sorts of trouble, and most of which I've experienced. They give rise for me of the questions which have sort of led me around through life, and maybe you've shared with them, what's life about? Now, what am I doing here? Who am I? Who are these people I'm with? Why is it so hard? Why do some people seem to have it so easy? Why is it so hard for me? What have I done to deserve all this? The various stories that we tell ourselves and the thoughts that drift through our minds as we attempt to steal our, still our minds and meditate. The comparisons that we make to other people, to our own lives. The stories we tell ourselves about who we should be if only we had done this or that or the other. If any of that sounds familiar, then you're right here with me in my own exploration of those questions. And those questions for me in my line of work as a lawyer and then as a mediator have always been the source of conflict. And it doesn't take a very perceptive person at all to look around at the world right now and see that it is awash with conflict. Virtually every place we look, there is intense disagreement, intensely different perspectives, not only about what's right or wrong, but who belongs where and who has priority where and how it's okay for me to kill or not kill you depending upon who you are, where you came from, what your religion is, what your sex is, what your sexual preference is. All of those aspects of humanity give me the right, give people the right all around the globe to do untold horrors and violence. Why are we as human beings so crazy?
course, it's easy for me to look out at everybody else and see how crazy they are and still have a story that I tell about Daniel that I'm not so bad. You know, I've done pretty well. Here I am. People have come to hear me talk. I'm okay. And yet, when I look deeply, I see that I'm no different from anyone. My mind works the same way because that's what the Buddha taught in his crystal clear distinctions of how we construct ourselves as human beings. Now, if you've ever played a musical instrument or done any kind of sport or any kind of activity, the first place we go is for the instruction manual. How do I build this? Or how do I learn chemistry? Or how do I learn to play a piano? And I've often lamented, where's the instruction manual for life? What happened to it? How come it's not given to us by our parents? It certainly wasn't by mine. Not in the hills of South Carolina, except to believe. Believe and go to church. That was basically the instruction manual that I got. And I often wondered that maybe I was asleep when the instruction manual was handed out. Everybody else got it but me. They seemed to be comparing myself to others. Of course, they seemed to be doing better than I was in various and sundry ways. So what happened to me? If those thoughts resonate for you, then the Buddha's teachings on the five aggregates of clinging may be helpful. And two weeks ago, I talked about the first two of those aggregates, the first being the material element of the body, what we are sitting here as a form, the sensations that we feel when we meditate. Notice that you felt the sensation of the hardness of the chair or the softness or hardness of your cushion. Those sensations, that's the material form. And then there's the second aggregate called feelings. We have a reactive feeling thought about each sensation. We either are neutral about it, we don't notice it, or we like it, or we don't like it. And when you think about it, there's no other possibility. The Buddha's teachings are always comprehensive and precise. So there are three possible feelings. Now, I'm not talking about emotional feelings. I'm talking about sensation feelings. We like something, we don't like it, or we're neutral about it. And this feeling tone is so important because it conditions our reactions to a sensation that we are feeling. So, if I like that feeling, then I have a certain reaction to it. If I don't like it, I have a different reaction. If I like something you said or did, I have a certain reaction to you. If I don't like it, I have another reaction. So the feelings are conditioned by the reactivity that we have. So a story always helps me to ground these sometimes abstract concepts. And I was thinking of 
when in my life I experienced a lot of conflict, and it won't surprise you that it was when I was a lawyer in Charleston, South Carolina. I was making my living on conflict. I needed to have a lot of conflict. How else would anybody come and hire me as a lawyer? And it, I was thinking it must be almost exactly half my lifetime ago that this particular story occurred. I had married not too long before this, the second daughter of one of the wealthiest men in town. He was a developer. He owned a chain of what were called catalog showrooms. Some of you might be old enough to remember service merchandise, where you got a catalog, you could order things from the catalog, and then eventually they built stores and you could go into the stores and order things. The, his uh, were in the southeast, so you were unlikely to have experienced them. And he sold his chain of about 11 stores all around the southeast to the larger national chain called Service Merchandise. So he had a lot of money, millions of dollars. And I was his lawyer. And every developer anywhere around wanted to get in Melvin's office because he could finance their project. It was tough keeping them away from the door. And a particular project came in to take, it was quite a creative one. Charleston, if you know anything about it now, is the most historic city in the U.S. It has more places on the historic register than any place in the U.S., and those have been beautifully restored. Unfortunately for those of us in San Francisco in the Bay Area, two years ago it, it replaced San Francisco as the most desirable tourist destination, which is really weird to me, but that's life. So anyway, Harleston Green. The developers bought three sides of a city block that had old historic houses. And their idea was to restore the historic houses and tear down the garages and sheds that were in their very long and narrow backyards and build new townhomes in those backyards, those collective backyards, while restoring the historic outer houses. It's a great idea, and they easily got it approved, in part because the developers were the former city engineer and the former city architect. You know, it's South Carolina. Things move in that way. And so they came to Melvin to finance it. And things went pretty well. They got approval and it moved along and the construction started. And then we had a lot of rain. A lot of rain. And everything flooded. It was the sinkhole for the entire blocks and blocks around. Lots of water. Two, three feet of water standing in all the houses. Oh my, as you can imagine. Turns out that the city, former city engineer, had missed the survey by a foot in the wrong direction.
so there came a day when Melvin's many advisors assembled in his office. Most of them were from New Jersey because my father-in-law was an Orthodox Jew and had lots of connections around the country. And these men didn't think very much of anything in South Carolina. They were from New Jersey. They thought everything down there was filled with stupid people, dumb, they didn't know what they were doing. And besides, they wanted Melvin to buy trotter horses and trotter farms up in New Jersey, the developments that they could make money off of. So it was quite a conflict. And I remember this meeting very precisely and sharply because it was such a horrendous conflict. Here I am, the Southern Baptist minister's son, son-in-law, in an Orthodox Jewish family, advising him in the face of this onslaught of Orthodox Jewish accountants and lawyers from New Jersey with this mess. And their advice was, walk away from it. Don't do anything, walk away from it. I had a very different take because I knew my father-in-law, I knew Charleston as a small town, I knew that if he did that, he might come out better financially, but it would ruin his sterling reputation in the town. So it was quite a battle, that particular meeting. And I look back at it in light of the Buddha's five aggregates of clinging and look at it with me through that way. So, as I sat in that room, there was the material form of Daniel sitting there in conflict with lots of other people. And there were my feelings that were arising. Not the emotional feelings, but the sensations of liking, not liking, or being neutral about. Now, I had no concept of this at that time. I'm only looking back to help us all get this teaching of the Buddha. But looking back on it, I was certainly not liking the sensations I was feeling. I was anxious. I was nervous. I was worried about my father-in-law. I was facing a phalanx of people, one of whom was my brother-in-law, also a Harvard Law graduate, but very Orthodox Jewish, so much more aligned with the story that was going on in the room. So think about situations in your life when you've been in conflict. Your material form is sitting there, and the sensations you have in your body are there. And then there's the third aggregate, the perceptions. Perceptions tell us what things are. When the eye sees something, we just distinguish its shape and color. But when we have seen something in the past, then we have a memory of it and we know what it is. We know that this is a chair. We know that this is a rug. That ability, that perceiving ability, 
picks out the distinguishing marks of an object, names it, and then remembers the concept and applies it the next time we experience that object. And if we are mindful when we perceive, there's a balance and an openness and a receptivity. But if we're as I was in that room, if we're anxious and worried and tense, then everything is distorted because those anxiousness and worries and tenseness are our mental formations. Those are the concepts that we bring into every situation we're faced with when we're in conflict. So we have the material form that we're experiencing. We have our feelings about it. We have the perceptions that we know from what we've brought in the past, what we've experienced in the past. And then we have the material formations, the emotions, the ideas, the thoughts we have about how to work it out. All of that is going through our minds. And, of course, that's going through everybody else's minds, too. But what did the Buddha teach that we do with those four of the five aggregates? We make them Daniel. We make that story be about Daniel. So how it occurs is about Daniel. How it turns out is about Daniel. If it turns out well, Daniel's the hero, the great lawyer who saved his father-in-law. If it turns out badly, Daniel's a schmuck. He's stupid. He's dumb. He didn't know what he was doing. And of course, there are other people's stories about Daniel that Daniel takes in as a mental, for, as a perception, as a mental formation, and struggles with them. And of course, Daniel has the same thing going on about everybody else in the room. Because I have, I see the physical forms out there, and I have a like, dislike, or neutral feeling about it. And believe me, in that room, it was all dislike. And I have perceptions about who they are shysters, out for my father-in-law's money, trying to get him to buy trotter farms and to invest in all sorts of crazy things, and having a low opinion of Southerners and thinking we're all stupid and all sorts of stories that were going on in my mind. And then the fifth aggregate is our consciousness. We know it. So, all five of these arise simultaneously. The Buddha distinguished them so that we could better understand our experience of life and we could better understand, in this case, how we get into conflict and how we struggle in conflict. Why? Because I hear your mental formations and I don't like them. I have a feeling about them that they're not good. I hear your perceptions of who I am and I don't like it. Or I do like it. But when I'm in conflict, I don't like it. And you're saying 
Daniel, you're this way and you think this and I heard you say that. And I'm reacting to all of that because I make it up that it is, in fact, Daniel. My perceptions of these New Jersey guys was largely negative. And from a meditation perspective, looking back, it's clear that these five aggregates were at work. The perceptions were rising and falling during that meeting. I was struggling with what to do and struggling with how to support my father-in-law. Now, I also told you that I come from a Southern Baptist minister background. That particular mental formation is based on being right. So I'm pretty good at being right. It's, it's ingrained into me. And when I'm right, being as I was raised on, you know, table pounding, shouting, preaching, I can get very forceful. It's very good for being a lawyer. It's not very good for being in relationship. It's not very good for being a human being. But it's useful. Well, it's my perception is that it's useful in those situations. Doesn't always prove to be, though, does it? There's a wonderful poem by Yehuda Amachai, an Israeli poet. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow. And a whisper will be heard where the ruined house once stood. So when we're right, when we have the mental formation called I'm right, everything is hard and trampled like a yard. But when we allow the space of meditation, when we pull back from that righteousness place, when we recognize, ah, these are the five aggregates at work. I'm caught in believing that Daniel is this righteous person as opposed to the experience of righteousness is occurring. Can you hear that distinction? It's the key distinction in grasping the five aggregates. If the perception that I'm having of you or the mental formation I had about those New Jersey shysters. If that, if I am right about it, then I've identified that perception and that mental formation with me. It is, Daniel is correct. Daniel knows what is true. Daniel's perspective is the right one. That identification keeps me 
from having any spaciousness and any broader view of relationship beyond the conflict in which I'm caught. Notice that when you sit, sometimes an, an uncomfortable sensation arises. For me, tonight, it was right here on my right thigh. The, this chair is clearly particularly hard on that side of the chair. Now, isn't that a stupid thought? But that's the kind of thoughts we have because the hardness is just a sensation, but I make it into a definite concept by being right about it. And what do I want to do? I want to get rid of the chair and get a new chair. Not recognizing that the sensation is arising and it will pass away because it's not about the chair, it's about the momentary experience that I'm having. And those experiences come and go. Come and go. The Buddha was teaching us that the five aggregates are impermanent. They pass. They're a continual flow of sensations that we have. But we take them and make them into a permanent description called Daniel. And in this case, called the chair is hard. That's what gets us trapped. So, yes. When you were this, when you were describing your story and you were saying how you felt, you know, strong about your position and being right, but you also described those people as kind of like were they all against you? Yes. Okay. And was there any moment where you also felt the opposite than like? you know, feeling all this weight of people thinking you're wrong and you're schmuck or how you described it. Um, was there, uh, did you balance from one state to another uh, of, you know, I'm right, or I may not be good enough, I'm right, maybe I'm going to lose, I'm right. Certainly in many situations in my life, I have been confused. There... In that situation, I was very certain and strong. And representing someone else as a lawyer, it's a lot easier to be certain and strong. But in my own life, there are many times when I notice my sensations, my perceptions, my mental formations going back and forth because of uncertainty. The distinction that the Buddha was teaching us was a little finer than that. It's that whether I'm right or I'm wrong, whether I'm certain or I'm uncertain, that, those are perceptions that I create about Daniel. And notice how I said, I'm right or I'm uncertain. 
the distinction that helps us live into the five aggregates is to change the way we say it. And how we say it more skillfully is certainty is arising in me. Uncertainty is arising in me. Now, where does that distinction come from? Notice, again, the five. There is the physical formation, the material formation. There's the feeling I have about it. I like it, I don't like it, or I'm okay either way. There's the perception I have it, of it. In this example, certainty or uncertainty. There's the story I'm telling about it, which is in the Harleston Green story in Charleston. It's the story about these bad guys from New Jersey. Am I trying to save my father-in-law? So the mental formation is that I'm the hero. And then I know these, my consciousness, I know it. So that becomes Daniel. And I hold Daniel in this construct. The Buddha said, all of that is impermanent. It changes. Take me out of the room where a Halston Green meeting is happening, and I will have a whole different set of perceptions. I will have a whole different set of stories. I will have a whole different set of ideas about who Daniel is in different circumstances. Am I the Daniel who was in Harleston Green or am I the Daniel who's giving a Dharma talk at IMC in Redwood City? Which Daniel am I? And his teaching is that we are none of that because we are all of that is impermanent. It's a flowing river of life. It's a flowing river of perceptions, of concepts, of mental formations that come and go, that arise and pass away depending upon the circumstances we're in. So if I try to fix myself in a certain way, that's called creating the self called Daniel. And when I do that is when I begin to create deep trouble for myself. Because then I know how Daniel is supposed to be. I know how Daniel is supposed to respond to things. I know what Daniel likes and what he doesn't like. I have fixed Daniel into a concept that I hold rather than recognizing that every reaction I have, the uncertainty or the certainty, comes from the conditions and circumstances I'm in in that moment. They don't, they aren't inherent to me. The circumstances create Daniel here, Daniel there, 
Daniel the next day. When we get that, and for me, it's a process of understanding it and experiencing it in meditation and seeing it so in my life, then what has arisen for me is a much more flexible and malleable and open-hearted human being. I can notice that I have reactions and go, oh, that's an interesting thought, and I don't take that thought to define Daniel. So let me give you a more concrete, perhaps, example. Two or three years ago, I got the diagnosis that we all really worry about. Daniel, you have cancer. Now, it's a very interesting moment. I trust some of you may have had that moment in your life. And my prayer for those of you who haven't is that you don't. But something's going to happen to all of us along those lines because we don't live forever, obviously. But in that moment, fortunately, I wasn't the Daniel back there 36 years ago in Harleston Green. I had done a lot of meditation between now and then and a lot of study, and I'm so grateful for the Buddha's teachings. And so the cancer did, diagnosis did not define me it wasn't a concept that I suddenly took on and said, oh, cancer is Daniel. And how did that play out practically? There were some, there are some pretty weird moments for those of you who've been, had a serious illness and you have been treated in a hospital. It's a strange experience. For example, I'm in the hospital and the nice nurse comes in and we're having a talk and he's putting a saline solution in my veins in preparation for giving me chemotherapy. And we're chatting, nice guy from Scotland. And a little while he goes out and he comes back in and he literally has a hazmat suit on. And he's got a bag of this fluid looking stuff and it looks like to me it's in four or five plastic bags, you know, layers of plastic bags. And he's got hazmat gloves on and a hazmat hat, a hazmat suit. And I think, wow, he's going to plug that up and shoot it right in me. And he's afraid to even touch it through four or five layers of plastic. And with my practice, I could go, that's an interesting mental formation. That's an interesting thought. And I could watch that thought arise and I could take a breath and I could let it go. And it would come back and I could let it go. That's the separation that getting the five aggregates allows us to have. We no longer identify Daniel with all those thoughts and experiences. We create the awareness that those are thoughts, perceptions, 
arising based on conditions of whatever is happening right now. So in that moment in the hospital, the conditions were pretty stringent. I was in the hospital, I had cancer, they were going to shoot me up with some pretty bad chemicals and this guy was freaked out about being around it. And those conditions created those thoughts. I didn't think them because there was no I to think them. We have caught ourselves in our own spider web by believing that I think my thoughts. When we pay mindful attention, we get that when we get up in the morning, there are certain getting up in the morning thoughts that we have. And I guarantee you that virtually every one of you have the same thoughts every morning about getting up in the morning, except maybe on Saturday or Sunday or depending upon when you have days off. You have getting up in the morning workday thoughts and getting up in the morning not workday thoughts. You have mealtime thoughts. We don't think those thoughts. Those thoughts arise by the conditions of it's time for a meal. We have going to be with certain members of our family thoughts. We're not thinking those thoughts. Those conditions generate those thoughts and we identify ourselves with them. I had worried about my father-in-law in Harleston Green tragedy thoughts and in those days I wasn't conscious enough to not to totally identify myself with them. So, just to not leave you hanging about what happened to Harleston Green, <laughs> I won that particular battle with that phalanx of New Jersey shysters because I said to them, but I was really saying it to my father-in-law, who was such a dear man and one of my great loves of my life and heroes. I said, you know, guys from New Jersey, somebody can renege on a bank deal in New Jersey and they don't even have to move to the next town because they can go to another bank. These were, this was in the days before computers. They could go to another bank. They're not known. Neighbors don't talk about them, but it's different down here in Charleston. Everybody knows Melvin Solomon, and everybody would know that he did that. So the price that you're asking him to pay is a lot higher than you know in New Jersey. He went my way, and I found a really good contractor who happened to live down the street from me, and he came up with the idea of creating what's called a French drain. Fortunately, the houses had garages on the first floor. Given that it's Charleston, it's, it's the low country, it's, it's named well. And the first living floor was up about 14 feet. So there was room to put another slab of concrete on top of what's called a French drain which is a lot of gravel, 
so that any water that penetrates can be pumped out. And since there's a, no top layer of concrete, it doesn't penetrate and there's no moisture in the house. And then we did extensive work on the drainage system. We fixed them all up and the houses were ready to sell. And then there came a problem of getting them sold. And I went to the bank and I said, I want you to offer mortgages on these houses at, sounds like a high interest rate to us now, given what we've experienced, but it was really a low one then, at 7%. I think the going rate was 10 or 9, something like that. And they said, we won't do that, that's outrageous. And I said, oh yes, you will. <laughs> and they said, why? And I said, because my father-in-law could have and almost did walk away from this, but he didn't. He fixed it, and he saved your bacon. If he had walked away from it, you could have foreclosed, but then you would have been stuck with him. He didn't let that happen. He's an upstanding man. So now you're going to offer this low interest rate so we can sell these houses. And they said, hmm, that sounds like a better idea than getting sued by you. So they did. Now, that whole story back then was about me. And I constructed a Daniel around it. And over time, that Daniel didn't work anymore. And when that happens to us, when the circumstances of our life change and who we have been here doesn't fit in these new circumstances, we suffer big time. So getting the five aggregates of clinging and getting that the perceptions we have are created by conditions, the ideas that we create, the mental formations that we create about who Daniel is, arise from those conditions. They don't arise because that is the way I am. So however you are holding yourself to be right now tonight, let it go. It is just a story that you've told yourself based on the conditions and circumstances of your life to this point. It is not who you are. You can, in fact, pull back and separate yourself from that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I want to know uh, when you're talking... Uh, you want to wait? Yes, your, good. Your, grandfa your uh, father-in-law... Yes. ...in trying to find an honorable path in a difficult situation. Yes. Be respectful of the people around him. Yes. Uh, I, I guess I'm asking, um, uh, you know, we receive the precepts in Buddhism. Yes. And uh, is, is it that you practice the precepts, but you don't attach yourself to them? I, I want to understand how to live an honorable life or how to practice the, the precepts and also do what you're talking about. Is it that I don't identify myself with the precept? It's just something, a principle I'm trying to live with, live by? What do you think? I think you're really struggling with getting something very important. 
So I honor you. Oh. I honor you. Uh -huh. So, over here are the precepts. Yeah. The not lying, mm -hmm. and not stealing, and not uh, f physical mi misconduct, harming people. Those the Buddha enunciated because that's the way life works best. Uh -huh. If I go around hurting people physically, mm -hmm. if I go around stealing from them, if I go around with sexual misconduct, mm -hmm. with anger, mm -hmm. I have then created a self through the five aggregates mm -hmm. that looks something like Donald Trump. Yeah, right, right. And I might be very wealthy, uh -huh. yes, but I personally would not want to experience being Donald Trump. Yeah. And I don't think you would either. No. So there's no conflict between these two. One are the precepts are actually an immutable characteristic of how life works well. Uh -huh. You turn on a light switch, electricity comes. Mm -hmm. That's a characteristic of how life works. Mm -hmm. You hurt people, it will come back to you. Uh -huh. You hurt yourself, it will come back to you. Mm -hmm. That's the precepts. You with me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, how I create Daniel mm -hmm. through the mental formations that I have about Daniel through the perceptions I have about the things I do, mm -hmm. through the feelings I have about the things I do, mm -hmm. through the changing nature of my body, mm -hmm. and through my consciousness of that. Mm -hmm. That is all constantly changing uh -huh. because they are all impermanent. There's mm -hmm. nothing fixed about it. I'm not the Daniel that I was back there in 1980s in Charleston. Yeah. I've changed all that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Practicing the precepts all that time yeah. have helped me change into a much better person than I would have changed into had I not practiced the precepts. Yeah. Nonetheless, I've changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're distinct categories. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think sometimes people have trouble with it. I mean, you're talking about wanting to be right because of the way you're brought up. That was yeah. a mental formation of yeah. who I thought I was. Yeah, but I mean, I think sometimes, I'm just saying, sometimes in practicing, sometimes we have trouble because we're identifying with doing the right thing or trying to do yes. the right thing. Yes, Well, like you were in conflict Very with good. these guys. You felt like they were doing the wrong thing or you were, they were talking your father-in-law into being a dishonorable person or behaving yes. badly, you know? Yes, yes. So I guess what I think what you're trying I think let me see if I get it. Even though that people are following the precepts and recognize the principles of the precepts, still you have to do it with the sense that you're always you're not permanently the same. Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I just had trouble with it. Thank you very much. Yes, and that's why being mindful of the precepts is so helpful because that gives me an ethical foundation through all the changes in life and through all the changes in Daniel. I have this ethical foundation. Are there other questions?
Yes. Okay. So, um, as you were speaking, Anne, I was then thinking, you know, we hear about finding our authentic self or being our authentic self. Mm -hmm. And in what you're describing, it seems like it's an elusive concept. Yes. Um, but why, why is there so much emphasis on, you know, like I'm not being my true self. I need to be aligned with my true self. I need to, uh, I mean, I don't know. I hear that a lot. Yes, because I think in the culture, the idea that we are a changeable, flowing river of experience over the course of our life, who I was then and who I am now has been a flowing experience of change. That's hard for our culture to get. I must be something. I must be somebody. I must be successful. I must be my authentic self. Those are the messages that we get from our culture. Come to me and I will teach you how to be your authentic self. And it might be a very good training and you might get much more in touch with your heart, with things that you would like to do with your life, with your perceptions of your preferences, your ideas about your financial well-being, your physical well-being, how to find someone that loves you and you love them, all of those things. But as soon as I decide that what I have created in that authentic self is the permanent, fixed, immutable Daniel, life and I are in a battle. And whenever we're in a battle with life, we lose. Because life changes. Our circumstances change. The people around us change. And if I have this authentic self, this is it, I know who I am, I am certain that this is me, then the very next day, I run into someone that I love who has a different idea about me because I used to be something different and I have conflict. Or I run into someone that I don't like and I totally forget about my authentic self-training and I become my usual jerky self. And then I feel really bad. And so my emotions go up and down and I'm struggling to hold on to this authentic self. Instead of getting the simple but paradoxical five aggregates that this material form that I am it changes. The, the feelings I have, they change. The perceptions I have about life and you and others and the circumstances of my life, they change. The mental formations that I 
the stories I tell, the beliefs I have, the concepts I have about myself and about others, they change. My consciousness changes. It all changes. So trying to grasp and create this momentary authentic self is bound to fail. Does that make sense? Yes, it's a big relief. <laughs> Good. It is a big relief. And that's why the Buddha taught it to us. Because that effort is futile and it creates suffering. Let's sit for a moment. So just take a moment to take a little inventory of your material form at this moment. Your feeling is about that form at this moment. Your perceptions of yourself, your life at this moment. The mental formations, the stories, the beliefs, the ideas, that you have about yourself and your life at this moment. And the fact that we can know all those things, our consciousness. And notice where they are. And take a moment to create the mental formation of gratitude. Gratitude for being here. Gratitude Gratitude for Gil and Andrea and the other teachers of IMC for creating this place. Gratitude for the community of volunteers that sustain it. And most of all, gratitude to yourself for taking the time to find your authentic self in this very moment. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for your wonderful questions. And have a great rest of your week. Hope to see you again sometime. And thank you for my wife for coming. <laughs>